This is the John Oakley Show podcast. I'm anticipating on one show in the not-too-distant future, I may be speaking through a gauze mask, so let's enjoy the clarity while we can. I mean, this is really getting to be a serious consideration. I'm noticing where uh, some stores that stock these masks, they've had a run on these things, by the way, the coronavirus scare that's now enveloped most of the world, I would guess, coming out of China, and uh, there have been countless casualties, now countless, I guess, over 600 people suspected of act actually having contracted uh, the virus. However, uh, we do have one case that may be as suspicious in this country. There was one in Washington State reported yesterday. As to where we stand with all of this, uh, I wanted to immediately address the issue. So uh, let's do that. Uh, as our first order of business, joining me on the line is Dr. Michael Gardam, the chief of staff at the Humber River Hospital. Doctor, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon to you. So where do we stand now uh, with this coronavirus? Was I right to say uh, so far only perhaps one person kind of suspected might have it, but uh, it seems like the health authorities are saying it's still very low risk at this point. Yeah, I would I would think that's absolutely true. I think right now it's safe to say that th- there are no cases of this in, in Canada. I mean, there's been a smattering of hospitals that have been testing people, but in general they've been testing people who have come back from China, not specifically from Wuhan City. And really, this is not, uh, as of yet, a widespread phenomena in, in China. So the risk to Canada currently is very low. That could change over the coming weeks, but right now it's very low. All right. Uh, in China, though, uh, my understanding is they've locked down three cities and canceled major events in the capital, Beijing, because, of course, it's the Lunar New Year and the holiday yeah. period draws a lot of visitors and such. Uh, locking down a city sounds pretty serious. Yeah, in fact, it's actually un- unprecedented. No one's ever ever done that before. Um, you know, I think a lot of this was also China showing the WHO that they were taking this very seriously. The WHO literally, you know, an hour ago said that they were not going to declare this an international public health emergency. I think China behaving that way was one of the things that nudge the WHO to step away from declaring that. I mean, if had WHO declared that, it would have been it would have had a very negative impact on the on the country just like it did when they did that to Toronto back in 2003 with SARS. Mm. So, you know, th- this this is all part of the uh, sort of the, the the bigger sort of political uh, theater that these things get played out in when it comes to the WHO. Yeah, I was going to ask, because there are obviously economic implications. We just heard on the news, the SARS thing back in 2003 cost the local economy about $4 billion. Yes. Uh, so is it a fact that uh, perhaps the WHO is mindful of this, or there's political pressure brought to bear not to really hamstring yeah. people? Uh, unless, I don't know. How does it play out? Yeah, no, the the WHO is a very, very political organization. If you think of them, they're kind of like a a ping pong ball on on a very stormy ocean, and they get bopped around by different countries lobbying for different things. Mm. I mean, if you look back in Ebola, when there was a lot of concern about Ebola virus a few years ago, and there were a couple you know, cases that were exported to Europe and, to, and also to the U.S., they also resisted declaring that a public health emergency because, again, because the impact that would have had on those on those countries. So this is something that they they don't just decide on willy-nilly. They, they really want really absolute, pretty pretty close to absolute certainty that they're doing the right thing before they make a declaration like that, because it can be so devastating to countries. Yeah, we're talking about a global emergency, so that yet uh, has not been called. With us, Dr. Michael Gardam, Chief of Staff at the Humber River Hospital, and uh, we're talking about the coronavirus and the scare that's 
engendered by it, obviously, since we learned uh, a pretty uh, serious lesson back in 2003 with the SARS thing. Is this in any way, shape, or form playing out as it did with the SARS epidemic that sort of got away from us uh, initially? You know, it's very different. I mean, I was I was uh, in my role in infection control when SARS first hit, so I, I, I went through all of SARS uh, at one of the downtown hospitals, and this is really playing out very differently. Uh, for one, SARS was a, a more dangerous virus. It had quite a higher mortality rate. For two, I mean, China hasn't been perfect with, with uh, letting the world know what's going on, but they were far more secretive back in 2003. We didn't really know there was something going on in China until we already had cases that were, you know, spreading here in Toronto. And we also didn't have a test for SARS until halfway through the SARS outbreak. At this point, we have a pretty good sense of what's going on. We're already screening at airports. Our hospitals have already been screening for people with fevers and cough for years. We've got stockpiles of equipment. Uh, you know, we're, we're in much, much better shape than we were with SARS. With SARS, we were literally making it up every day. Like, we really didn't have any planning for SARS. And now we've done a lot of planning. We've had a lot of experience with SARS and then H1N1. And we're, I would say, Canada, Canadian hospitals are actually in, in, in very good shape. Dr. Gardam, you said screening at airports. Now, uh, my understanding was yesterday, uh, this was still left to self-reporting if you have symptoms or you feel uh, not well. I mean, is that adequate? You know, all of these measures um, are imperfect, right? So screening at the airports where it's self-reporting, the basic gist there is to get people to think about it. Obviously, if they have symptoms, um, you know, you're looking for them to come forward. People, whenever these things happen, people arguing, you know, argue we should be doing temperature screening at airports. You know, Hong Kong tried that during SARS. All you need to do is take Tylenol and you don't have a temperature. So that doesn't really work either. All of these things are, are, are not perfect. And so it's really the layering on of them, right? So you've got screening at the airports. We've got screening at our emergency departments. We've got stockpiles of equipment. You know, you've got all these different layers, all of which potentially have holes in them. But as a combination, you know, I feel quite confident that uh, we're not going to get into the situation we had with SARS, where we had, you know, transmission and didn't know it, and it shut down our healthcare system here in the city. All right. Uh, but you wouldn't uh, totally concede that there might be a tipping point where we would restrict travel. Yeah, you know, we're going to see, right? I mean, well, we're in we're in kind of the gray zone of this outbreak right now. We've got a, a good sense that the virus can clearly transmit person to person, but the next one to two weeks are going to be very telling, right? If we continue to hear, you know, that next week they're now reporting 5,000 cases in China, that gives you a good sense that this thing is really starting to get on the move. And that's when you start, you know, moving into plan B, thinking about whether Health Canada would recommend that people don't necessarily travel to that country, et cetera. We're not there yet, but um, believe me, all the organizations that are involved in this have the, have all of that in their back pocket. Right now, um, there isn't any need to do that, but it may come up if this thing continues to spread that we're talking about that a week or two from now. I've heard that the uh, virus is mutating. Uh, is that a serious consideration? You know, right now the virus has been has been pretty stable. Uh, however, viruses do mutate. I mean, if you think about a person infected with a virus, they can have billions of copies of this virus, and each one is busy replicating. And once in a while, they make a mistake. And if the virus 
makes a mistake that makes it better at spreading, then that mutated virus is going to be the one that ends up sort of taking over the rest of the virus population. So that's always the concern with these things. Um, We'll see. We talk about it all the time. I mean, whenever we have a viral outbreak, people always worry about mutation and it's going to spread more. That is by no means a guarantee. Uh, We'll have to see what happens. One thing I will say is that typically as viruses become more adapted to people, they tend to be less nasty. And so, like, if you think about coronaviruses right now, there's lots of coronaviruses circulating in humans now that are not this coronavirus that just cause the common cold. And presumably at one point when they jumped into humans millennia ago that they were far more serious. So as these viruses get adapted to people, they tend not to harm them as much, but they also tend to be easier to spread. So we'll have to see what happens with this over the coming weeks. It's interesting if it's likened to the common cold, because we still don't have, say, the antidote to the common cold uh, directly. Is there anything on plan, an antiviral treatment for this coronavirus? Right now, there are some experimental treatments that have been discussed. Uh, You know, certain types of interferon have been discussed for coronaviruses for for several years, Uh, but nothing that's sort of widespread, nothing like the antivirals we use for influenza, for example. So really the treatment for this is what we call supportive treatment, which is if people have difficulty breathing, we give them oxygen, that sort of thing. There is no specific antiviral drug that we can use to uh, kill coronaviruses at this stage. All right, so the fall flu shot ineffective against this particular strain. Uh, Give us a rundown very quickly of the symptoms, too, in case anybody suspects. I don't want to really feed, you know, the hypochondriac mentality, but still there might be some folks who are not necessarily having gone to China or whatever, but uh, if it comes to a long-term thing where this still hasn't abated, uh, what typical symptoms should people look out for and uh, who would be most susceptible? You know, so that's the hard part with this because the symptoms of this virus are identical to influenza. There's no way clinically that you'd be able to tell if you had one over the other. And the symptoms of influenza are identical to other viruses as well. So basically... There's a whole group of viruses of which this coronavirus is one that can cause flu-like symptoms. And in some people, they can go on to get worse disease like pneumonia. So there's nothing that you can really differentiate it uh, from other viruses with the exception right now of travel. Now, if this becomes widespread, then the travel goes out the window too. And it's just basically you've got a viral infection and then you come to the hospital and we test you to see which one it is. In terms of the people that are getting sick with it, Like flu, it seems to be hitting people that are older who have a lot of pre-existing medical problems. So in that respect as well, it's behaving very, very similar to influenza. Uh, So really the only discriminating factor we have right now is have you been to Wuhan City? That's the big discriminating factor. Which might explain why the Chinese government has locked this city down along with two others. Logistically, I'm not exactly sure how you would do that, but uh, that's what they've done. You know what's interesting with this is that because this virus is not as easily transmitted as, let's say, influenza is, I mean, if this were an influenza virus, we'd already have it here in Toronto now. It it spreads that quickly, and we saw that during H1N1 in 2009. Hmm. Because this virus doesn't transmit nearly as well in humans, you know, they may actually really achieve some, some real benefit by doing the lockdown that they're doing, even if it isn't perfect, because the transmission of the virus is by no means perfect uh, in humans. So we'll have to see what happens with this. Yeah, the spread of uh, a virus, perhaps not this one, as you say, but uh, other strains, that's an ominous note, you know, because we saw the flu uh, pandemic, I guess, back in 1918, was it, I guess, in Spain? Yes. 
how many lives that, you know, uh, something to be mindful of. Finally, let me ask you, because uh, some people are thinking as a prophylactic measure, they'd wear these gauze face masks. Those any good? You know, there's not a lot of evidence to support people wearing those just wandering around the community. I mean, what I've been telling people is washing your hands. If you, if you yourself are sick, uh, wearing a face mask will likely prevent you from coughing stuff on other people, which is a good thing. But just generally wearing a face mask, uh, I'm not sure you're going to get a lot of benefit out of that, to be honest. Well, Doctor, uh, most informative. I really appreciate it. It's on top of everybody's mind, and so uh, you've clarified a lot of points of interest. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Bye-bye. You got it. Dr. Michael Gardam, Chief of Staff at the Humber River Hospital. You know, as uh, I was just musing aloud to the good doctor, that pandemic in 1918, I don't know how many tens of millions that cost in lives. I mean, this is one of those considerations, you know, sometimes we almost think that modern medicine so infallible, whatever it is that we confront, we can somehow arrest it and uh, get on with our merry way. But if there's a bug, a super bug that comes along and we don't have the answer... We all may be vulnerable. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.